0: Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Here, engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety.
1: Hi, my name is Caroline Stocks of Pork Health today, and with me is Dr. Dan Wilson from Wilson Veterinary Co. in Indiana. Dan, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, sure thing. Now, we're talking about E. coli, and specifically E. coli in layers today. Can you just uh, explain how or give us a, an idea of how big the problem E. coli is in layer production?
0: Yeah, so certainly historically, um, you know, in conventional cage production, E. coli has always been one of our top challenges. In fact, Within our practice, I would say it's uh, bacterial causes of mortality, including E. coli, are probably a top two on average daily things that a layer would encounter that could cause mortality. And now certainly with um, shifts to alternative production, cage-free, pasture access, aviaries, more bacterial challenges are becoming apparent, including um, E. coli, which is probably the number one. As part of that.
1: And obviously, we're seeing more and more production now shifting to these these cage-free systems. Why is E. coli becoming more of a a problem in these systems?
0: I think, you know, we know that bacterial causes of mortality are kind of like um, bank robbers trying to get into the bank vault. So, you know, they're always part of our environment. And certainly, um, the alternative environments provide a lot more access to those variety of bacteria, whether that be actual litter access um, with fecal material or even pasture and dirt, dirt access and exposure to more wild animals that can gain access to the building or or be in the pasture. So
1: when it comes to uh, losses and the problems that the E. coli causes, what are the kind of typical losses?
0: It's highly variable. I mean, I think we categorize it in two different types of E. coli types of mortality. One would be Um, you know, true clinical presentations with a spike in mortality. And that can be up to, you know, a half a percent or a percent a week with an actual high challenge that has a sudden onset from a stress factor. But then also we have to remember any given day, there's also birds in the daily mortality that have succumbed to peritonitis or some other bacterial presentation. So it can also kind of secretly hide in the background and Cause higher mortality than breed standard, maybe not extremely high, but you know higher than we would like. So more like uh, a 02 percent a week or something like that.
1: So when it comes to actually diagnosing E. coli in flocks, what what types of things should producers be looking for?
0: When we do farm visits, um, we we like to do a whole spectrum of mortality uh, necropsies, posting sessions where we're looking at what the average daily cause of death is and not just, you know, only coming out for problems. So that certainly helps um, to kind of assess, you know, where a farm is at as far as diagnostics. And certainly with more modern diagnostics outside of just basic culture, you know, we're doing a lot more with um, actually sequencing isolates, comparing them within and to other farms and finding vaccine programs that match well with that.
1: So how important is is testing when it comes to, to planning or identifying the serotype that you have and planning the kind of vaccination route that you take?
0: In the alternative productions, we have to remember that not all bacterial causes are E. coli alone. So we do have to have from a basic standpoint, you know, discovery that and verification that it is an E. coli and not uh, an erysipelas or a cariesa or uh cholera or something else, and then beyond that, you know, comparing isolates within a farm and between farms can help make vaccine decisions, or at least inform the producer, like uh, that a vaccine change, or alteration or addition would have a good return on investment for the profitability of the flock and the welfare of the flock.
1: So looking now in a little more detail at the vaccination protocols that, that you'd perhaps recommend to people. Should it be a live vaccination, uh, an autogenous vaccine? Can you can you talk us through what uh, what people should be doing?
0: In the past, in, in cage production, there was a little bit less pressure on the birds as far as maybe a need for an E. coli vaccination. Um, even in cage production, though, we've stressed how important even a basic live program can be to minimizing E. coli challenges in, in lay. Um, but now, in alternative styles of production, it's almost a must have minimum to have a live program, typically multiple doses of a live program. In some cases, that would include re boosting the E. coli live vaccine in lay. And so Live vaccines are a, a main base component of all of our layer programs in the US, particularly alternative systems. And now as we move farther into these alternative styles, we're starting to pair that with autogenous vaccination with killed products um, to gain multiple directions of prevention in lay.
1: So are there standard protocols for vaccination that, that you would recommend?
0: And floor, Production or aviary production, the earlier we vaccinate them in pullet stage, the more access we have to the birds to get a good spray or water vaccination. So that plays a major factor into when we actually choose the timing um, of the live vaccinations. And it's also dependent on if the pullet farm actually has E. coli challenges or whether it's just for prevention on the layer side. Um, If it's mostly for prevention on the layer side, we try to do the live vaccinations as close to lay as possible to gain protection through the early parts of lay where there's the stressful events of nutrition changes and coming into egg production and um, the birds are navigating a new new house that they've moved into. So definitely try to target uh, live vaccinations later in the pull-up program for layer farms.
1: So is there anything in particular you think that producers could be doing better to, to minimize uh, Ecoli in their flocks?
0: Well, in in the U.S. at this time, you know, the learning, the management styles of alternative production and all of the different interventions that come with that are kind of um, trial and error at this point or learning from people globally that have had experience ahead of us. Um, I mean, some of those things include advancing, you know, water sanitation that's used. Um, where in the past, in you know, typical cage production, water quality is important, but not nearly as important as alternative styles of production. So, trying to get producers to add those other interventions to keep E. coli loads at bay is kind of a new a new thing to the U.S
1: so maybe in a few years time we'll be in a better position to uh, to try and eradicate it more from flocks hopefully
0: right and i think you know we're always up against the the long life of a egg layer uh you know the decisions we make today last the next 90 weeks so that trial and error is a very long trial and error so if a farm if a company builds you know a new aviary barn the first time they try th- something it may or may not work. And then you've got to wait another cycle and another cycle. And so that whole process of figuring out what works for that farm can take many years to get things in balance. Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com
1: slash join.